tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. We'll think back to that opening podcast of the season where the mood was very nervy ahead of the difficult opening at Wolves and then think of the mood of last week's show as we all got a little bit more confidence after that win at Molyneux. A 5-2 defeat against Leicester later and we're all back at square one. Funny old game. On this week's Blue Moon podcast, we're going to perform the post-mortem on Pep Guardiola's heaviest ever defeat as a manager now that the dust has settled. A 3-0 win at Burnley in the League Cup also helps to lift a few spirits as well. We're also going to be taking a look in-depth at the new signing Ruben Dias and if you think Sunday was a masterclass in how not to defend, then you ain't seen nothing yet. Jamie Pollock will be on the show a little later on as well. I'm David Mooney. With me this week is City fan and journalist Willem Wint. Hello. And Northern Football reporter at the Daily Mail, Jack Gorn. Hello, mate. You're right. I'm not too bad, thanks. Um, yeah, so it was it was the first time that City conceded five goals at the Etihad. The last time a team put five past them at home was in February 2003. Arsenal beat Kevin Keegan City 5-1 at Main Road. Uh, Will, the good old days. Was that the game when Henri just kept getting applauded round the pitch? Uh, by, by Richard Dunn, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, we were dreadful. Yeah, right. first time letting five since then. Uh, first time a Guardiola side has conceded five in a game. And as far as I can tell, it's the first time that City have conceded three penalties in a match as well. Uh, and it's left City with a negative goal difference in the Premier League for the first time in over 12 years. So, uh, Jack, um, what happened, mate? Why did it all go wrong? Uh, well, first of all, can I just say what an honour it is for me to be on a on a podcast with a man who uh, <laughs> traded some potatoes for uh, a block of cheese on a, a corner of a street in Hackney a few years ago. I, I'd hoped that I was going to be able to speak to him at some point in the future, and today my dreams have come true. Will, you're going to have to right. defend yourself against this one, Mike. I don't, I don't need to defend myself. I've got a very good deal. Um, <laughs> I went and swapped a bag of knackered potatoes for some very expensive cheese because a, a Guardian journalist in Hackney who tweeted about it um, prior to my time working for the Guardian, I didn't know her, um, that she'd been sent a load of cheese and she couldn't eat it for some reason. And if anyone had any veg to swap for it, she'd happily do it. So I left my Hackney flat, which I shared with a certain Mr. Jack Gorn, and uh, <laughs> got some lovely expensive cheese. It must be like 20 odd quid's worth for about eight potatoes, some carrots and whatnot. It was an incredible deal. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, great day. What, what, what he's not telling you is that he got the job at The Guardian on the back of that exchange. <laughs> it's not what you know, Gorno. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's what you trade for cheese, I guess. Yeah, you don't want to know how Gorno got his job at the mail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get getting back to the football, though. Uh, Jack, well, I mean, did it all hinge on that substitution, Delap on Fernandinho off? No, I don't think so. I... Uh, I I don't think you can really blame Guardiola for that change. Fernandinho wasn't doing what he wanted him to do in midfield. They had loads and loads of the ball, weren't creating anything. So the obvious thing is take a take the secondary or second midfielder off and put another strike, put another attacker on because they were dominant. Well, they were dominating possession without dominating the game, uh, and they needed a little bit of something else in the final third. So I, I didn't really have a really understand the outcry 
um, for that sub, to be honest, um, because they, they play with they play with one central mid or deeper midfielder in in loads and loads of games, don't they? And Rodri should be able to to anchor that midfield himself um, and cover cover the space when teams counter attack. So no, I, I thought it was the right change when he made it, and I still think it is now. I must admit, though, Will. I mean, I, I at the time I thought I wouldn't take Fernandinho off. I don't, I don't know if that's just me being hyper cautious and, and having seen what what Fernandinho brings to City for the last kind of five six years or so. Um, but also, it just like it felt like City had been comfortable, if not dangerous. It was say yeah, dominating the ball completely. I would have kept. I think Fernandinho's on. Would have oh, sorry. I would have kept Fernandinho on. He's a far more effective player than Rodri. Has a bit more about him. A bit more thrust going forward generally. Um, I think with the lap that obviously Jack will know more having watched the youth teams um, and stuff like that whilst I plastic myself in London um, that he, he just needs it seemed they had to change the dynamic there was a few more crosses chucked in and he did he had a good header off the bar his first touch looked a bit nervous um, I think would be the polite way to describe it I think it just changed the dynamic a bit too much at that time and probably changing the dynamic for a very young player put a bit more pressure on him as well it's, yeah it didn't you know I, I'm not against putting an extra striker on but it was probably a bit early to put all your eggs in the Rory Delap basket um, Rory Delap I actually meant to say that because I, I just see <laughs> I just see him as Rory Delap <laughs> sorry sorry I, so I'm easily happy. done we've all done it don't I'm, worry about I'm it. happy to call him Liam but I just prefer to call him Rory <laughs> uh, I, I think they just needed someone a bit better on the ball in I think Foden was a bit absent throughout the game. Um, I just need someone on the ball a bit more in those lines where you'd have in those positions where you'd have silver previously, and I think we we lacked a bit of that um, when you when you've got your Fernandinho and Rodri combination in midfield. They need someone that can actually progress it forward a bit rather than sideways as Rodri likes to do. Sunday was, Sunday was very similar to a lot of games last year where it was basically De Bruyne doing it all himself, which is not sustainable at all. I was going to say, Jack. I mean, it, it, it's it's all well and good saying that there needs that that you know one holding midfielder can do the job. But I mean, Rodri's Rodri's not. If he's going to be there, he's not there yet. Well, I mean, they paid sixty two million pound for him. So if he's not there yet, then why isn't he there yet? Um, God, you should be should be able to trust him enough to to say sit there and make sure Leicester don't counter. Um, he he should have the requisite skills to be able to perform that that yeah. job with minimal force. I mean, I could understand why he took Fernandinho off. He was having a dreadful game. Um, he looked like a defender playing in midfield to me, um, and it completely for me, or completely understandable why he was the one that was hooked. I don't think he was particularly happy about it. Um, and yeah, there is there's probably something in in what Will says that it was maybe a little bit too early for. To throw the lap on, but then I, I guess Guardiola would, when he was thinking about it, probably at half time, maybe he's thinking, well, that old kind of fairy tale element to it, and give him time to give him enough time to affect the game, and balls drop to young players, don't they, in the box on the on debuts and things like that. So maybe he thought that, that was going to happen. Yeah, well, this is this is Guardiola speaking in his press conference after the game, uh, where he tried to explain what what. What forced that change? We struggled because it's normal, because it's so difficult when Jamie Bardi is 10, 15 yards away from the 18-yard box. The spaces are so, so 
difficult to find it. And like we didn't create much, we had a clear chance with Dino, but we didn't create much in this position. We start to think that, oh, we are not playing good, we are not playing good, what happened? And it was completely opposite. We were good. In the past, it happened sometimes in these four years together that the teams, but we were calm and patient to move them, to run in the right moment to find the solution. Well, we spoke in the half time, so we are playing good. So try to avoid the mistakes there, but we are playing good. And just to try to to be patient, don't let them run the three people up front and the the rest will be in other in our hands. Just on the theme of the team playing well and believing they were playing well, I hate to boil it down to one moment and that's not what I'm getting at. But with that first substitution, the Fernandinho off and Liam Delap on, what were you looking to change in the game? What were you looking for for, your, for the team? Well, put one, one player in the box with a big presence, a good header. It's not easy because they have three central half there in a penalty spot, so it's, it's not easy. And uh, with Kyle, control Barnes, we have done many times, uh, and instead to Dino. So this was the, the idea. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. It's funny, Will, because he says there that he wanted patience, uh, but yet he switched it up so soon. And that's not like Guardiola at all. Like Fans normally are screaming for Guardiola to make changes at some point in the game. Yeah, it's also he mentions, you know, it's quite quite difficult for a young lad against three centre-backs, one of them being Johnny Evans, the most experienced player defender in the Premier League. And for high-quality players, it's, again, just pointing out how difficult it is for a young lad like Delap to go on and go make more intelligent runs than Johnny Evans can read. Um, yeah, the City, you know, City, it was so poor, City are on top. Um, we've got those players that can have those you know, incredible moments, you know, going forward, especially De Bruyne, just as before, just changing the dynamic to then focus on, you know, having a focal striker on his league debut is very strange. And that with time and that defence, was having to concentrate very hard to keep City out with the amount of ball they had, even if, as we say, it wasn't actually massively dangerous. It takes a lot to keep that formation and you know for, for such a sustained period to keep out a high quality team like City who again have that movement it's just you know it's fine uh, yeah a very odd odd early change in my opinion Jack did it does it give you any encouragement about um, Guardiola trying something different though because I mean the, the, the problems of last season it, it, you know uh, okay it didn't work on this occasion but at least he tried something that wasn't the usual thing yeah, I think, well, he's trying something different because of his lack of options on Sunday, I think. Um, uh, there's not a great deal else he could have done, really. Um, but I, I kind of bang this drum all the time. When City attack well, they defend well. And when they're not attacking well, they defend poorly. Um, and that was that was the case from pretty much start to finish, to be honest, on Sunday. I mean, I just had another look at the, at the stats now and... Uh, said the same thing ever, all the time. Seventy-two percent of the ball and five shots on target. I mean, she's like no, it's just woefully sure of of where they should be, and uh, that uh, you can try uh, different things and you can try all you want, but if you've not got the ability to to make intelligent runs in behind or you know draw teams out of position when you've got so much of the ball, then there are underlying problems for me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, after the game, uh, Leicester manager Brendan Rodgers explained his tactics. Uh, let's let's just have a listen to that because I think it's quite interesting to hear how he basically went about shutting City down. We set the team up to just play well a little differently to, to what I normally set the teams up. We're, we're normally very much a uh, high pressing team, but but against such a, a team of quality, we wanted to deny, deny them that space that little bit deeper and uh, and then know that we have the players on counter attack to break out of that pressure and. Uh, and uh, exploit the spaces. So um, they're such a, a great team that they want to go into the pockets. They want to find the pockets between your lines. And obviously, the higher you press against them, then they have an incredible technical ability. You know, they've got world-class players all over the pitch. And players like that, sometimes you cannot press them. You know, the, the ball's gone, and then they go and exploit the space that you've left. So I felt for this game, it was important from a tactical perspective to... Just take the keeper out of it because you press the keeper too much. Uh, he's he's a top, you know, he can play as a centre-half in some Premier League teams. He's that good with the ball. So we just decided to get into a three-quarter to half-pitch shape, just deny the, the space. And uh, and then when the counter-press comes, because it's, you know, we, we will try to work on Manchester City, work on the counter-press, do we have then the quality to pass out of that and then be away... Harry's sponsors the Blue Moon podcast. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were fed up of overpriced razors and wanted to fix shaving. They bought their own factory in Germany, which has been making blades for more than 100 years, and they've now released their sharpest ever blades and added a new lubricating strip for an even closer, more comfortable shave. The best part? They haven't raised prices, so replacement blades are still as little as £1.75 each. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave shave. You can claim your trial set for just £3.95. Support the Blue Moon podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, their new five-blade cartridge, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash blue right now. That's harrys.com forward slash blue. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Jack, it's, I mean, Leicester were good. Let's make no bones about it. But I mean, City did, like, how, how much of it was down to them being good and how much of it was down to the same age-old problems that City have? Um, both in equal measure, I think. I, but I wrote on Sunday, uh, Leicester had the blueprint on how to beat City or how to get a result at City. And every team in the league knows the best way to get a result at the Etihad. Um, and not everybody can uh, can be so disciplined for 90 minutes and Leicester are a very, very good team and that's why they were able to do what they did. Um, but there were a lot of, I mean, there were a lot of times last year where <clears throat> teams played very well but were undone by individual brilliance and City won plenty, plenty of matches last year with individual moments. But the problem is when you get yourself into a situation like Sunday, and nobody's playing particularly well. I mean, it would even include De Bruyne in that. You, and you haven't got that individual kind of moment of class. It, you're then in trouble because they run out of it. It sounds strange because, you know, last year they scored 100 goals again. Um, but they can, you know, they're not immune to running out of ideas. Um, and I think it happened loads of times. I just don't know how you... I really don't know how they correct it. I suppose maybe will the first instance is stop giving away penalties. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the most frustrating thing, and it's just it's just done out of continuous lapses of concentration. As as 
Brendan Rodgers was saying, the plan was to break and Jamie Vardy is incredibly good at what he does and makes the right runs as you know as often as anyone in world football probably. But they must know that's what he's going to do. He's going to run in behind. He's going to he's going to get the wrong side here. And there's just so many lapses of concentration. And this is the difference between high quality defenders and those people that are just below. Is that high quality defenders when they've got very little to do at times, they maintain their concentration. You know, professional football is full of people that can't keep their concentration. That's why they drop down the leagues. It might be as talented as anyone in the world, but. If you can't concentrate for 90 minutes and know what you're doing, that's why you suffer. You know, all City's defenders are liable for that. That's yeah. why Stones can't stay in the team. Walker's dreadful at it. Mendy, the same. Um, Otto Mendy, well, just like diving in all the time. I know he's gone. Don't worry. I've, I pay, I pay <laughs> I say you, don't, you don't have to suffer that anymore. It's okay. Yeah, and that's just the difference between top quality players. That's why they're all just lacking. Yeah. I mean, it's it's weird that like if you'd said to me before kickoff that City would concede three penalties, I would assume at least two of them would have been for the the the, the state of the handball law this season, not three stone wall shove over sh- shoves in the box. Yeah, they're all very similar as well. <laughs> just like, just oh god, it's frustrating, isn't it? It's yes. just it, just not getting any you know repeatedly getting the wrong side, and then I don't even think they've needed to take them down. Edison's a good goalkeeper. Just give him a chance. <laughs> um, I, I don't get why Vardy's more likely, I think, to score a penalty than he would have been for the one-on-ones and stuff like that. I, oh God, it's frustrating. I, I think for me, uh, Jack, the Garcia one more than anything else was was one of the most frustrating <laughs> because he was going away from goal, and it's Ake's you know it's on a, the cover. Yeah, Ake's on the cover. It's a time old tactic of of uh, forwards to get the wrong side of the man, slow down, and force the defender to foul you. So just don't don't give them the opportunity to do that. It's lazy. All three of them were lazy, and products of being half a yard short um, and not engaging the brains quickly enough. Um, there's, yeah, that's. I mean, you could, you could argue if they were half a half a yard short for all three, then maybe that's down to a minimal preseason and they've not got the rhythm and they're not up to speed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I just don't think you could make excuses like that for for players of of that quality. I also, um, I, I also don't like excuses like that because let's be honest, pretty much. I mean, okay, City started a week later, but pretty much every team is in the same boat this season. Well, no, I did. I, I would actually disagree with that because a couple, a few, well, a lot of the teams had a good two weeks, three weeks more than City. Like, a few of them were back relatively early, um, like pretty soon after City had gone out of the Champions League and United had gone out of the Europa League. Um, so there is, like, you know, there is mitigation, but. That the goals on Sunday were just daft. Just like there's nothing else you can say about it. And I mean, Eric Garcia, for for a guy that is so intelligent and reading the game is brilliant, and uh, can intercept and kind of uh, organize a back line really well. We've seen that loads of times. Just like basic errors that you look at and go, well, you know, if Barcelona bid 20 million for you before next week, I'd probably take the money and reinvest it elsewhere. Yeah. Um, uh, Will, Jack mentioned uh, before about, you know, Rodri and his place in the team. Um, There is a question to be asked about him, how he fits into this side, isn't there now? 
Yeah, I you know gave him all of last season. I mean, it didn't help that he's been moved about a bit and forced to play centre back and things like that. But I just don't think his all round game is currently where it would need to be to be that dominant midfield player, which you'd hope to have. Especially he's not you know he's not the all action player Fernandinho was in his heyday. Um, he definitely, I don't think he can be that sitter by himself. The more I watch him, I don't think he's got that in him. And so then you you're going to have to play two people. <laughs> if, you know, in a in a block, however you want to put it, um, to to accommodate him, which would probably be quite frustrating for for Guardiola. Um, so yeah, I just I think you can't really give him a whole second season of trying to work out the position again. Another intelligent guy that just seems to be falling a bit short at the moment, and possibly doesn't just doesn't have the physical attributes to 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 do what Guardiola wants someone in that position to do. I don't understand when you like kind of talk about Rodri and you, you you can apply this to the signing of Diaz as well. I don't understand how City went from wanting Fred to wanting Frank, Frankie De Jong and then getting Rodri. Like they're completely different players, completely different midfielders. Jorginho in there as well. Jorginho as well. Yeah. Um, I just I just don't I don't see. And Rodri is a brilliant player, and the, there is a. There's definitely a place for him in a, in a different setup, um, and he does. Uh, as we've seen at Burnley on on Wednesday night, like he had a great game at Burnley, he can be effective. I just don't see how the club went from De Jong and Jorginho and Fred to Rodri. In a similar way, I don't understand how the clubs come from Kounde to Diaz. Yeah, just again, they're just completely different defenders. Yeah. Well, uh, let's have a listen to Rodri. He was speaking after the game to Sky Sports, uh, basically talking about Leicester's tactics. This is what he had to say. I think football is not being fair with us. I think we we deserve many things. Uh, we propose uh, many things in the game. Uh, we play, we try, and then only with a few things. They come here, do two, three things. They beat us. I don't know, it's our fault or their strength, I don't know. Games like this, like the opponent do nothing, just waits, waits and waits. And even if you're winning, you're a bit confused. You don't know what to do, really, because uh, for me, the, the learning this this match is when we score one goal, is do 100 passes, be in the box, that's it, and the, the game is over. But we try to to go to the second, to the third. Uh, that makes us lose balls and uh, concede little, little, little things to him, to them. And they, for me, they're lucky uh, with these two things. They they win this game. Uh, it's okay. You have to congratulate them, but uh, it's not the the way I like to play. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Football not being kind, Leicester a bit lucky. Do you agree with that, Will? No. They, they had a game plan. They affected it very well. City complained about them not wanting to play football. They scored five goals. <laughs> it's a bit of a farcical argument. Um, yeah, it's funny when you're one of the best teams in the league, teams are going to try and stop you from playing and you've got to come up with better ideas to... To, to get round them. They were very obvious of how they were setting up. And then, you know, excellent first goal for Mares, and you think that would bring confidence. And then Rodri complains that that just made them get picked off more often because they were trying to score again. I was like, it's mostly illogical arguments from him. 
a poor guy trying to stand there and <laughs> defend that performance. But it's a very perverse view. It's just a bad city performance with, as we say, utter stupidity giving away repeated penalties. Like, yeah, they did do one thing well, which as he was saying was, which was winning penalties every every <laughs> half an hour, which is quite a useful trait if you can pull it off. And it's just bad defending. It's just the city's own fault. I think the worrying, I think the worrying thing from that interview is that usually players parrot what they're being told in the dressing room, and if that's what they're being told in the dressing room, it's not great, is it? Well, I was going to say, is there any chance that it's actually just like he's got to stand there, he's got to give an interview, he's he's just saying things to deflect away from what has just happened, whereas in like in the background they know what is wrong. Uh, no, like in my experience, they. Most, unless something drastic's been said uh, behind closed doors, they generally repeat what the manager says. So you would assume that the manager's kind of saying similar stuff to them. I don't know that for a fact, but uh, I would I would guess that's what's probably happened. Yeah, not um, encouraging. Cap. Well, not really. I mean, Pep came out to us after after the game and said, "I told them, I, I told them at half time to to don't worry. They're, they're playing well. They weren't playing well." Like, I think anyone at that game thought that City were playing particularly well at all. They weren't creating anything. They had the Fernandinho header and from a free kick, and that was that was pretty much it after the goal, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in this as well. This is a question from Twitter. Mike Cook uh, asks, uh, we play inverted wingers who can't break down low blocks. We push the fullbacks up to provide the width, and neither of them are that good with the ball, although Mendy was until his injuries. It leaves gaping holes to be counter-attacked. Relying on a double pivot of Rodri and Gundogan or Fernandinho also leaves us an attacker short, and all three are short of the required pace needed to stop those counter-attacks. Why won't Guardiola turn back to pace on the wings on their natural side, allowing the fullbacks to offer that protection? And, and, and Will, I, I always think, when I think of, of City's best team under Guardiola, I do think Sane on the left, Sterling on the right, Aguero through the middle. Get, get you know, Stretch the game that way. Yeah, I guess is one of the reasons that he's hoping that Torres can actually bring some pace, which has been lacking. And every time I see Phil Foden play on the wing, I just cry a little. He's just not suited to it. But essentially, the bottom line is with City's issues is that they need to bring back proper defenders. You know, this is this you know gonna gonna stand stand on uh, stand on my was it milk crate or whatever and shout that people that could defend would actually help rather than obviously all these various issues. You can look that actually we're very good attack team but the problem really is that the defenders aren't very good at defending and this is why people like Ruben Diaz have been brought in and Mendy can't really defend and Carl Walker likes to not defend as much as possible and yeah just you know bring back Ben me people that can defend <laughs> um, yeah the Ben me agenda yeah got, got more of that later um, <laughs> but like I, that's the problem it's you know essentially is that the defenders can't defend. It's not a problem further up the field, really. It's just that they're not performing as well as, well as they can. You know, you concede five goals because your defenders can't defend. Jack, does it does it kind of buy into your if City don't attack well, they don't defend well? If they if they if they stretch the game with wingers like that, it, they might attack better. Yeah, I think so. But the uh, what I mean, what do you do? Sterling scored thirty one goals last year playing on the left wing, like. It, He's he's obviously well suited to to where he's playing, and you know you look on that side. They've got if Mendy stays fit, they've got someone who, in theory and on paper, gets to the byline and whips crosses in. 
at the moment. That's he's, not he's not going to stay fit though. That's, that's well, he's, even when, even when he plays, it's not happening. I mean, I noticed on Sunday, he wasn't getting the ball. There was so many times on Sunday where they had it in midfield, and Mendy was a spare man on the left hand side, and they just downright refused to give him the ball. Now, if that happens most of the time, you're basically attacking with one short, aren't you? Yeah. He's basically a spare part out there, which then narrows your options massively and allows Leicester to kind of shift over and cover cover the space in field because they don't have to worry about Mendy, uh, which hampers them. Well, I think it hampered them massively on 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 Sunday. Um, but I, I agree with I agree with Will about Torres. If they can, Torres finds a little bit of form, he gives them something far different on the right hand side. But you don't want to you don't want to see him playing on the left and having to faff about cutting in or whatever. Just get the ball out to him and just play with a bit more tempo, a bit more directness as well. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the the thing one of the highlights from the the Burnley game, I suppose, was was two goals for for Raheem Sterling and that that Ferran Torres looked he, he looked a lot. Um, Kind of more settled into the system, will? Yeah, first couple of times, you know, I saw him in a city shirt. I was quite willing to retire the number twenty-one. Um, he, yeah, he, he looks far more confident. He got a lot more of the ball. Um, he he spent time on both wings. He he showed what he can do. You know, on, on, playing on you know, Burnley's right. They have two left backs playing. <laughs> Taylor and Peters, but he looked excellent against Burnley. And so hopefully it's just the confidence booster he needed um, because in the first couple of times he just didn't get into the game at all. Um, Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic against Burnley. Obviously, they got his goal from the left, so what I've just said is yeah. completely redundant. <laughs> I was going to say, Jack, in terms of, of uh, performance against uh, against Burnley, that, that was really needed, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was needed. I kind of wonder whether the team selection was partly because of the shambles of Sunday and he just turned around to him and said right go on you're playing again um, as kind of punishment um, for that performance it was definitely definitely needed because if they'd had a if they'd had a negative result on Wednesday then uh, one becomes two and then does two become then three at Leeds because Leeds is going to be a difficult game at the weekend and then you, you're into kind of Suddenly, you find yourself in like some sort of mini crisis, haven't you? Within the space of six days, um, so in that in that sense, it was it was a could turn out to be quite an important important win against a, a full a full strength uh, Burnley, really, which is well from the players that they could pick. Yeah, which is never like kind of never uh, never an easy place to to play, is it? And they, what, and what did you make? Well. What did you make of Cole Palmer? Really impressed. Really encouraging. Um, I thought the one thing I was I wasn't so sure about um, going into, or well, when I found out that he was playing, was how he would stand up to Burnley physically. And he, I thought that was the most impressive thing about his performance. Actually, that he just like he stood up to him, um, put himself about. He was key in one of the one of the two goals in the second half, turning over possession in midfield and starting a starting a counter attack. Um, did they? I, I've forgotten now. Did they score when he went round the goalkeeper? No, no. They, I mean, they should have done. He should have. He should have had a shot. Actually, Palmer. Um, he could have put that in himself. Uh, but I think Burnley kind of scrambled back and and um, hacked away his his cutback. Um, but yeah, I, to be honest, I actually thought his debut was more impressive than Delap's last last week. 
Yeah, he looks more of a pet player than the lap, in my opinion. He just looks a bit more like he can slot in immediately rather than the lap where things need to sort of change a little bit to accommodate him. Yeah. I mean, Palmer, um, played, Palmer played in two or three different positions. Yeah. I, I was going to say, he didn't start up front, did he? No, no. He... Uh... He played in behind, and then he played off the left, and then he he drifted in, drifted inside a little bit deeper, and was quite happy coming deep and linking up the play. I mean, there were there were moments when you'd kind of uh, you want people to give him the ball a bit more. That um, you always find that with young players, and that's, Foden found that when he broke through that he probably wasn't getting the ball as much as he should have should have done. Uh, but if Palmer gets another another few games. That'll, that'll come. He'll be able to impress himself on it a little bit more. But yeah, it was. I was surprised at how good he was, actually, I must say. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Well, as, uh, as Will mentioned earlier on in the show, it's uh, been no secret that City have been in the market for another defender recently. They wanted Koulibaly, didn't get him. They wanted Koundé, didn't get him. They've eventually brought in Ruben Dias from Benfica for a fee believed to be in the region of £63 million, with some of that made up by Nicolas Otamendi going the other way. So who is he and how does he play? I've been speaking to Portuguese football expert Alex Gonçalves to find out more. A lot of people are looking at, at, the, at the price and they're saying it is a lot of money. Of course it is. Uh, he becomes actually the the fifth most expensive centre back in the history of the game. So, you know, seventy million euros if you don't take into account Otamendi going the other way, which of course no one in this market really is going to pay fifteen million euros for Otamendi. So I guess you can say that it is it is substantially reduced compared to compared to what it's actually paid. And I can imagine that it does raise a, a few eyebrows outside of Portugal, but at the same time. It is less than the than the value that uh, that Benfica were actually looking for to get for him. You know, the plan was very much to to keep hold of Diaz for the upcoming season and and have him partner uh, Vertonghen at the back. Uh, and Benfica were holding out for for his release clause of of one hundred million euros. You know, it was seen as uh, as indispensable really at the club with the ambition of uh, of competing both domestically and on the continental stage. And anything less than a hundred million, as I understand it, would have uh, up until a couple of weeks ago been turned down, uh, particularly with presidential elections at the club on the horizon. But uh, but of course, after Benfica spent so much this window and after a shock defeat against Payok in, in the Champions League qualifiers, suddenly the need to sell became very apparent uh, with Benfica you know, missing out on a, on a 40 million euro windfall uh, because of their lack of, of Champions League qualification. So Diaz was able to be sold for less. And I do genuinely believe that he that he is worth the fee paid in today's market. You know, for a top class centre back that is still still very young, really, and offers such quality and leadership in defence. I think it's I think it's a smart signing. It's it, there there is considerable disappointment amongst many Benfica fans, which I says which I think says a lot. Um, you know, he was seen as a potential future captain at the club, someone to potentially replicate the longevity and service of club legend uh, Louisan. Um, so I think it's I think it's really smart. I think I think it's good value for money in the end. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's a name that I think not a lot of City fans would have heard of before, kind of last week or so. Uh, he's 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 twenty three, as you say. He's got uh, a fair few caps for Portugal. He's made nineteen uh, appearances already. Um, 
what will he bring to City? Yeah, I, th- I think you're probably right. He's probably not quite as uh, as well known around the world as uh, as some of the other players that Manchester City were uh, were linked with. But you know, he, he, his physicality is is definitely a, a massive asset for him. You know, he's very strong, which does help him in those in those one on one one duels, both in the air and on the ground. Uh, he's aggressive. He's passionate. He'll not shy away from from an aerial challenge, and you know, he often comes out on top when a ball is delivered into the box. And while he's also He's also difficult to get past. You know, he has a good understanding and awareness of the game. And for Benfica, he had to evolve as something of a, of a leader at the back when playing alongside Ferro. So he has already garnered excellent leadership qualities and good communication skills among the back line. And I think one of the things you have to say is that he's reliable. It's, it's not too often that he makes an error or loses concentration. I mean, you could say for Benfica, perhaps he was very occasionally guilty of, of you know, maybe trying to take on too much at some points, uh, you know, he probably felt that he needed to do more than was required. And, and he did ultimately score a few own goals for Benfica. But, um, but you know, overall, he really doesn't have any any clear weaknesses and, and is a dependable all-round defender uh, that, you know, as you say, at the age of 23, is already so experienced. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting you mentioned the one-on-one defending thing. The, the one thing we've seen from from City, certainly in the last game against Leicester, uh, was that, where, that that the defenders are exposed quite a lot in games sometimes. What, what's he like in those situations where it's a, a case of, you know, you've got to make a decision at, at some point as a striker's running at you? Yeah, I, th- I think I think he's quite strong at that. I mean, for for Benfica, I'm not saying you can really compare Benfica and Manchester City, but it, in their respective leagues, you know, they are playing against sides that gen- generally will sit back a bit more and then will be able to break on the counter, and they'll be more exposed uh, because the midfield are taking more risks than than other teams would. So I think he's already he's already quite accustomed to that from playing against Benfica, uh, playing for Benfica against the the, the lesser sides in Portugal. Uh, where he's kind of um, he's kind of is exposed more th- more than he would for other teams. So I think he's already well prepared for that. You know his decision making is very very solid. Uh, he, he's used to being um, you know uh, pulled away by by fast players or on the counter. Uh, so I think he, he he's already well well fitted for for a place at Manchester City. Yeah, what's what's he like with the ball at his feet? You know he's actually he's actually not bad. He's uh, he's he's uh, a decent pass with the ball. Uh, I think that that probably is is one of the traits that uh, we'll still have to improve probably under Pep Guardiola. Um, but but actually, you know, he's he's very calm on the ball. He is he is a bit of a ball playing uh, central defender, and, and I think that's probably one of the one of the other reasons that he was he was perhaps picked ahead of ahead of the other uh, players that Man City were linked with. Yeah, I mean, the the, the the possibly one of the the, the things that that drew him to uh, to City's attention as well, like like you mentioned before about his uh, his kind of presence on the pitch as well. Just, uh, I mean, they, they lost company a couple of years ago. Um, it, there was the feeling that they never really replaced Vincent Company when he did leave. And you look at the defenders that City have got there. They want uh, the, the the story is they wanted a communicator, and that's I guess that's what he is. Is he? I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think I think I think that sums him up very well. Obviously, I think he uh, he would do better alongside an experienced player like Laporte when when he is able to to act as uh, as a kind of co-leader almost and have some of that that pressure taken off him. Because ultimately, I think actually uh, some of his best stuff has come for the Portugal national team, and I think that's probably because you have Pep at the back uh, who has a has played a big role in helping Ruben Dias uh, play so well. Um, and he hasn't really had that dependable figure alongside him at Benfica. He, he's still done a good job for his club, but for Portugal, he's he's been a monster at times. And so, 
yeah, I think he's going to be, he'll be a great leader and communicator at the back. But at the same time, I do think Laporte will also be really crucial for him if, if they get to play alongside each other. Yeah, there's there's the line of thinking that uh, you know you could put the world's four best defenders in in City's back line, but they'll still be exposed by uh, the way they play. Um, so so how does uh, how how does he solve any of the problems that City have had in in uh, kind of like the last eighteen months? Well, I think uh, I think he he he's uh, he'll add some of that more defensive solidity. I think one of the things you could say about Guardiola and Man City is that they've they've occasionally had players that are are more interested in in creating opportunities than defending. But I think Ruben Dias really thrives on on the defensive side of the game, which really has been lacking, I think, from some of the defenders that they've brought in previously, which sounds crazy, but I think there's been a lot of focus on building from the back rather than just trying to create an impenetrable uh, back line. You know, he's physical, he's dependable, he's not too reckless. um, And, you know, he's he's not too unpredictable and and he's probably less likely to pick up an unnecessary booking. At the same time, of course, for Man City, that might might change because they, they are so stretched. But I think the fact that he has defending at the forefront of his mind is 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 a major asset for man city please give us your backing patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast portuguese football expert alex gonsalves talking to me about ruben diaz there now it's time to look ahead at the game with leeds uh we've thrashed out what went wrong uh, how do they stop that happen again jack without wanting to sound like fabian delph running hard and doing the basics properly I just, I think, I think that's been lost in the last nine months to a year. I just don't think they do. The, the simplicity of City when they got 198 points was was actually their best trait. I thought I, they they knew what they wanted to do and they performed it excellently or executed it excellently. And yeah. I don't, I don't, they've not been doing that for for a good while. Just it's, it's got to get back to back to doing those those things well. Um, and just being, just being up for it. I mean, sometimes I just don't think they look up for it. Yeah, Leeds have started brightly. Will is, it, is that a worry? Well, too far they did thrash full, and they were bloody awful. But um, yeah, they they look very good. Well, you know, being a Bielsa team, you know, the tempo is always there, which is a, a necessity in the Premier League, which you know, Fulham have showed they've not got. Um, but they're just very good going forward. They've got a plan. They can do things that are a bit different. Patrick Bamford's got some confidence. You know, he's an intelligent striker who can who can score goals. <laughs> surprisingly, it seems. But um, they're just a very good, very well organised. Not much of the team has changed. They all know their jobs, and I think overall they're probably actually more suited to playing in the Premier League than they were in the Championship as a as a side as a tactic base. Um, so yeah, they're going to cause City problems, as we say, especially with our defence being so really bloody awful. There but, is, I mean, there there is going to be it's going to be a more open game though. Does that not? Does that also play into City's hands a bit more? Yeah, but I think the one problem Leeds have got is actually the the, the defence is probably still a bit Championship. I know they've brought in Cock. Feel free to laugh there, everyone. <laughs> um, but I think that's where they, you know they lost Ben White, who was very key in the Championship, and I think their fullbacks. You know, Luke Ayling might have a difficult time if Raheem Sterling's on it. I think. Yeah. Um, I think that's and that's why I think City more likely. You know, we'll go into what we predicted later, but I think City are going to 
going to score plenty of goals. I think against Leeds, I think that's. I think it'll play into City's hands that it's more open. I think. I know I said Bamford can score goals, but I think we're probably a bit more clinical than their forward line. Um, and I think when you tally up the chances, um, City will probably take more. It's they'll, key. Miss, they'll miss Jack Harrison big time. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I was going to say, Jack. Is it is it key that that um, that that he can't play? Yeah, I mean he's turning into a fabulous winger, and um, Bielsa deserves a lot of credit for that because you wouldn't have um, uh, you wouldn't have expected him to have to have become a, a Premier League winger when we watched him on on tour a couple of years ago, and he's he's had two years under Bielsa now. Um, and his first year was very, very difficult. I interviewed him last uh, at the start of last season, um, and he said he had a he had a really tricky time um, during his first loan. The fans were kind of getting on his back, and it was it was weighing quite heavily on him. And then he spent the summer, spent that summer of two thousand and nineteen, uh, just training in New York with a personal trainer from his time at uh, New York City, um, and came back a different player and has added goals and assists and he's direct he's just exciting to watch and the way they play with that counter-attacking style he's he's tailor-made for it so he's going to be a massive a massive miss for them because he's become one of their most integral players now the the weird thing about this game and i know i know this sounds obvious to anybody who who's listening to this and and you know knows anything about football but i guess will the 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 key thing is is for city not to fall behind um i spoke to to duncan alexander from opta to to kind of get how city compare under guardiola to other premier league sides uh, when they when they fall behind at any point in a in a game uh, they're actually the third worst in the in in guardiola's uh, time at city uh, they've won 34 points from behind only burnley and newcastle have won less it comes with the caveat that City aren't behind as often as other teams. But then when you look at, at the team that's won the most in that time, it's Liverpool, 65 points. Yeah, I think one of the things we didn't really mention about the Burnley win was Laporte. Um, Laporte being available and fit is going to make a massive difference to our defence. And yeah, mentally, yes, as you say, we're not particularly good at bouncing back. And it's it's a huge issue that we, you know, we don't take a blow particularly well. Um, but I think the hope is that, I, you know, with Laporte being back, and I, I assume Diaz will have to play because no, we haven't got any of the right-sided centre-backs. And um, I know you spoke to a whole journalist about this, but I did text two footballers who played against Diaz. One said he was a good defender, and one said he was better than Otamendi. So uh, that's good research. <laughs> On a winner there. Yeah, it's very strange that we, we can't kickstart ourselves when things are going badly. Even against Leicester at the weekend, things weren't going particularly well and we scored and we still couldn't kick on. So imagine the mentality for a team that goes behind. I just, I just, I think everyone knows in that team that that defence is bad and once you've conceded one, you're just so frustrated that you fear with, with the defence because it's generally a mistake of some form. You're just, you're just fearful it's going to happen again and which adds extra pressure to those going forward so you're not you know, you're not inclined to to, to to have a positive frame of mind. Yeah. Jack, I mean, when you look at some of the teams that have fought from behind and won more points than City, I mean, Watford, Bournemouth, West Ham, these are, like, these are teams that you don't... Yeah, but you to. kind of... But they go behind a lot, don't they? Um, so I guess with statistics, you, you can frame them in any which way kind of suits. Um, so they are, you know, West Ham can see the first goal in plenty of games and and come back and salvage something. Uh, but there is, 
you know, you've seen it in the, when they were when they were storming the Premier League, then the mentality issues were in the Champions League, weren't they? Yeah. Um, when they would kind of just fall to bits for 10, 15 minutes and then even over two legs, then the, the tie's gone. Um, and that's now translated to, to Premier League matches um, as well. So it's, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't, it's hard to, it, it's hard to kind of sum up the issues at City and it always has been really under Guardiola because, yeah, individual mistakes have always been an issue. But, are the individual mistakes not a product of the way they set up? And then is that, you know, if there's a mistake at centre half, is that not partly down to the fullbacks kind of not being positionally correct? Uh, is it overloading too high up the pitch? There's so much going on that it's difficult to just... To pin down to one issue, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Which, which makes it... Does does that kind of make the situation worse? Probably, probably does because there's so much to go at. Yeah. Um, what what do you reckon? They'll go and bloody win six 0 on Saturday. And we'll... <laughs> look, we'll look like fools, won't we? Yeah. Um, what, what? How? How? Will mentioned Diaz coming in. Um, do you suspect that could happen? Maybe Ake to left back. Uh, he was asked. Uh, Pep was asked about Ake at left back last week, and he was suggesting that he could play there if required, but that wouldn't be his calling. Um. Which suggested to me that he'd know he's gonna he's gonna be a centre half. I I did wonder when they brought him in whether they were gonna play a back three far more this year. Um and yeah, I think I think we might see more of a back three, which would probably yeah. be Diaz Laporte and, and Ake, with probably Ake in the middle, I guess. Uh which would be interesting and will give them something different, a different way of both defending and attacking, which is much needed and they they go with a They've got a proper plan B. Because that's like De Bruyne did an interview with Ian Ladyman at, um, at our place the other week and they were talking about tactics. And he said, well, with Pep, there's plan A and then there's plan A. That's it. That's the plan. You stick to the plan. Where I think they would like different options uh, tactically, really. Yeah. And Ake might give them that. Yeah. Um, well, it's obviously it's Guardiola versus Bielsa. Um, I mean, who on earth can predict what is going to happen in this game, really, in all honesty? Because these two, I mean, these two have got the, the potential to galaxy brain each other. I think but they're both going to go 4 4 2. Roy will have to start, <laughs> knocking it long. You know, there must be a tall bloke at Leeds. Yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, fascinating. It's fascinating, what, yeah. Yeah. You know, they faced off when Bielsa was at. Athletic Bilbao. Um, he says off the top of his head, I'm, that must be right. Faced off. That. Does anyone say faced off? Or is not, that in the, not in the real right? world. That's a, that's a print journalist that's a written term, thing, yeah. isn't it? Have, have you never seen the uh, film Face Off? No, no. Nick, Nick, Nick Cage and John Travolta? It's a classic. Do they I, say face off in face off, though? Mm, no. I think no. it's just written on the cover. Patreon uh, bonus next week will be just watching watching face off and analysing it for <laughs> two hours. So, I'm, uh, I'm game if you are, mate. Something something for us all to look forward to. Uh, yeah, I think it's just going to be very interesting. Um, as I say, I just think it's going to be very open. And at the moment, you can't predict how which city will turn up, which is quite nice. You know, yeah. very good against Wolves. If you play at a tempo and Leeds play at a tempo, it could just be end to end stuff because our midfield's pretty ropey. Leeds are, I think, missing. A couple, you know, they've got Cal- Calvin Phillips, but I think they're missing a little bit in there. And I say the full backs of both teams, 
probably like to fall a bit short when they fancy it. It's just going to be bloody good fun. I mean, that's the key. I think it's, it should be what football is fun. You know, Rodri, if Rodri comes out after goes, yeah, they weren't, they just didn't want to play football. Um, <laughs> we know something's gone terribly wrong. Um, can you can you tell me the last City player to score at uh, Ellen Road? Um, early 2000s must have been after that one shot Vikings yep. game. Uh, shall we say uh, Ile Berkovich? No, Nicholas Anelka. Oh, too predictable. Should have gone mainstream. Yeah. Should have gone mainstream. Well, it's charity bet time. We're working with William Hill to raise money for the Christie, which is a cancer treatment hospital in Manchester. We've all got a £10 correct score single, and there's only one game with Leeds to predict. So, Will, what are you going for? Uh, 4 2 City. Big 4 2 win is 25 to 1. So, £250 for the charity if you're right, Jack. Uh, 2 all. 2 all is 14 to 1. So, 140 if you're right. Uh, my 3 1 prediction is uh, a mere 17 to 2 and £85 if I'm right. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more details on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. <laughs> Now, if you thought City's defending was bad against Leicester, then it's nothing in comparison to what is now one of the most iconic shoot-yourself-in-the-foot moments ever seen on a football pitch. It was May 1998. City needed to win in their penultimate game of the season against Queen's Park Rangers to keep their hopes of survival in the second tier in their own hands. After going 1-0 up, a calamitous mix-up saw goalkeeper Martin Margitson gift the away side an equaliser. Then came what's now been dubbed on YouTube as the best, funniest and worst own goal of all time. I've been speaking to its scorer, Jamie Pollock, to find out what happened. Being a footballer, it comes with sort of, you know, when you're in the final line as a footballer, then, you know, you've got to take the ups and downs and criticisms that come along with it. And at the time, the club was underperforming and the team was underperforming. But one of the things Joe and Willie did straight away was they actually stopped the players warming up on the pitch. And we used to go in a minibus to a local school and warm up in a gym, come back and get straight in the change room and straight out on the pitch. So we'd arrived back at the ground probably about, I don't know, quarter to sort of 10 to 3 o'clock, you know, so we could just have a quick team talk and get on the pitch. And I think the theory behind that was to sort of let the lads not, one, get a bit of abuse on the, on the sideline when they were warming up, but two, you know, focus on the game rather than sort of the environment. And, you know, there was a little bit of negativity at the time, which was, you know, you could, a lot of fans would say it was justified. But I think Willie... Uh, and Joe did a lot to sort of steer the players away from that. Um, and the players, as I say, went off site, come back and got straight into the game. Now, obviously, uh, there was the QPR game in the in the second last game of the season. There was there was the own goal that you scored in the in the first <laughs> half. Um, yeah. How I mean, like when you think back of it now, how, how often do you still think about it? Well, I coach young players, and they remind me every day. So it's. Uh, you know, it, I mean, from my personal point of view, I mean, your goal was, was horrendous because I went into the club and I'll be honest with you, the fans made me so welcome and I, I loved the club from the first minute I walked through the doors. And to score my own goal, I mean, it, it was a very strange game. Um, and it, it was even it was even a little bit strange. For some reason, on the night before, on the Friday, I was actually watching a video of own goals and gaffes, which I've never done before. And my wife said, I can't believe you're watching that before the game. And then I actually did it. And it was just like, oh, it was, it was horrendous. But I've got to say, to this day, you know, even although there's been a lot of banter about the goal and things like that, and obviously, you know, it had a massive effect on the club, but the fans have been brilliant with me. Absolutely superb. And even on the day in, in where there was so much emotion and, 
you know, it was such a difficult day because obviously the result was so important to us. You know, the fans were fantastic and, I, and I'll never forget that level of support. And as I say, the, you know, a lot of people used to say, well, it was hard to play at Man City. I didn't find that. I thought the fans were brilliant. They just wanted some honesty and they wanted some, you know, they wanted players who wanted to be there for the club. And I made a mistake and it was something I've obviously, you know, I'm devastated over. But as I say, the fans really made it easy for me because they were superb. Have you ever, have you ever spoken to Martin Margitson about it since? Well, we've never actually gone through it in, in, I mean, you know, we've never sort of discussed it of like what happened because, I mean, there was actually a couple, I don't know if you remember the second goal, I think there was another goal that was a little bit strange where I think Martin had actually, there was a free kick and he gave it to their centre forward or their player who you know, squared it in the score. So was a, there was a couple of sort of, we, we, we both sort of made a couple of errors there. But I think it was just one of the things, when I've, when I've sort of hooked the ball over and then I've looked, Obviously, Martin was on his line, and then I've sort of I'm in mid air, and he's come off his line, and as he's done that, obviously I've judged the header, but it's, it's obviously gone past him and gone in. So it was obviously, you know, and you know, as I say, it was a, it was the only own goal I'd scored in my career, to be honest, and it was it was devastating, and you know, it's it's obviously you know something I've got to got to live with, but the kids find it you know highly amusing when I'm coaching them. I was going to say, in terms of in terms of that, and, and in terms of the the sort of, you mentioned the banter that that football fans and football players have. Um, have. Have you ever been able to live it down? Well, absolutely not. I mean, you know, I mean the QPR fans, because obviously QPR fans stand. You know, they sort of, you know, they stayed up through that one goal, really. In, in you know, being honest about it, and um, it was strange because the following Christmas, I got an absolute boatload of Christmas cards of QPR fans. And, you know, when we played them and they were singing, you know, there's only one Jamie Pollock. So I was a favourite amongst the QPR fans, which, you know, obviously you've got to take tongue-in-cheek because that's football and that's banter. But I found out a number of years actually after that that the QPR fans had a vote to see who was the player of the year and they reckon that the QPR players were so poor during the season. I actually won the player of the year for QPR and I'm the only player to ever win a player of the year for the club I never played for. (laughs) So... It was quite strange in that respect. How how did it feel then towards the end of the season uh, to to see City get to Wembley, but then to to not make the squad? Very very frustrating. Um, obviously understandable. Um, I think at the time, you know, you know the gaffer, you know, he's got to make his, his decisions. Um, you know, he's got to go with what he feels right on the day. Um, and I think it was myself and Tommy Wright who were. To sort of travel down with a team, but we we just didn't, you know, make the cut. And it it was it's funny actually because throughout like my career, Wembley seemed to avoid me. Um, when I was at Middlesbrough, Bolton went to Wembley. When I was at Bolton, Middlesbrough went to Wembley, and every team I seemed to like, you know, I wasn't at or played for I seemed to get to Wembley. So it was a bit bit strange, but that was summer that'll always disappoint me. But the the day wasn't about me. The day was about promotion um, and it was absolutely fantastic because I can generally sit here and say we were sort of obviously two we were sat on the bench on the bench um, with the lads you know me and Tommy and uh, we were getting a bit of stick um, you know we were 2-0 down we were getting a bit of stick and obviously the famous photo of 90 minutes and 2-0 down and then to pull that back oh it was just the greatest feeling ever I mean it was just Incredible, you know, it's something that you dream about. It's something that you know, um, 
well, you just dream about as a kid. And I'll be honest, even though I wasn't on the pitch, I was I still was very made very part of the squad and the group of players were, were fantastic. And I know this might sound ridiculous when you're actually not playing. I think sometimes you can actually celebrate a little bit more because you're watching it and you're not playing it. And we certainly celebrated, and it was a fantastic achievement from the lads. And I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think you'll ever see anything like that again. Really, it was just unbelievable. Now, obviously, uh, final day of the season drama was following City round at that time because they needed to win at Blackburn to make sure of of promotion. Um, you started that game, and Blackburn were hitting the woodwork left, right, and centre. What what do you remember of all of that? Yeah, I think I think we, it was one of them games where. For us, we had a lot of energy, you know, we had a lot of nervous energy. We we were desperate to obviously win the game. So um I don't think at the time Blackburn were playing for anything. So they're obviously good at they could go into the game a lot more relaxed than ourselves. What we did is we were determined to win the game. We were anxious to win the game and I think we started off very poorly, possibly a little bit nervous, a little bit um a little bit safe and, and we went one nil down, didn't we? So that sort of kicked everything into, you know, into sort of action. Well, certainly half-time, you know, the gaffer got us in and he said, look, you've got to start approaching us a bit more, you know, positive. And I think the second half, we, we, everyone like sort of lifted the game. I actually went off at half-time, but the lads in the second half really lifted. And I think we, we sort of just went for it. And obviously, you know, it was just, again, maybe a little bit of fortune, but the fortune comes with the hard work you put in. Um, and the lads had put a lot of work in over, you know, we'd all put a lot of work in over the season. And, and I think that, again, end of the season was justified and, and it ended up being a great win and a, another great celebration. And, you know, in you know, I was sort of with the club just over two years and one relegation and two promotions, certainly a roller coaster. And it was, it, you know, it was fantastic to be part of the club because obviously, you know, it was it was on its way back. Did it did going up to the Premier League that year? Did did that kind of put a box on on your City career after the own goal sort of thing? It, it kind of made everything right again. Does that make sense? Well, I th- I wouldn't. I mean, obviously, you know, I was part of the story. I was a chapter in it, and obviously, scoring my own goal is not something you set out to do as a footballer. But you know, these things happen, and you've got to. You know, at the end of the day, you've you've got to move on, uh, and you've got to. You know, I certainly didn't go on the football pitch um, to create a problem. I didn't go on the football pitch to, to make a mistake. And I think if you let things like that worry you, then you can't go forward in life and you can't go forward in football. So, But it was definitely something that I felt so relieved to see the club back to where, you know, obviously we belonged. Um, it was fantastic to see, you know, and to be part of it. And, and you know, there was... It was times I was playing in different positions. There was times I was on the bench. There was times I was, you know, fully involved. I went through spells like, like most players did. But to be part of something of that nature is something that you'll never forget. It's a memory you'll never forget. It's an experience you'll never forget. And to be part of that group was absolutely superb. You know, made a lot of good friends, a lot of good people there, and and to get, you know, to, to sort of move on and say, well, yes, we got relegated, but yes, we got promoted. And now the club is back, you know, where it needs to be. Um, and and it was, again, it was just, you know, a lot of hard work had been put in and, and the results were there for that, which sometimes you, you don't always get in football. You can put a lot of work in and not get the results, but, you know, we we'd put the work in and, and we got the results. 
Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Jamie Pollock speaking to me there. The full interview will be uh, available for Patreon backers. Have a look at patreon.com forward slash bluemoonpodcast. Will, do you you remember, like we'd said in the Patreon show about remembering that Nicholas Jensen goal against Leeds. Do you remember that one from Pollock? Yeah, well, I interviewed Pollock for The Guardian about that goal. Um, So, yeah, go read that instead of listening to that <laughs> what a waste of time um so yeah it's it was incredible it's one of those where you just couldn't believe it. it's like did did our own player just do that, that he'd done, he done all it, the hard done, work as well yeah it's incredible like thought process as well so like who would have actually you know running back towards goal lifting it over someone to you know get rid of the danger <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible we're rubbish and that man's done some fine defending and then he headed it over poor Martin Margotson in his little orange kit confused as hell and we went down Yeah, oh, I, well. I, I said in the intro to that the, the first goal do you remember what, what that mix up was uh, that they all played in, uh, for for City. So that, I mean, that was a major mix up. Um, did they run into? Was it Sheeran who scored? It was Sheeran, but uh, yeah. Margitson picked up a back pass, and oh. um, the referee gave an indirect free kick. And instead of taking the ball back to his goal and getting in position, he just handed the ball over to the QPR player, who squared it to Sheeran, who was who had an open goal, and he popped it in. <laughs> it's like for all you millennial City fans out there, just a reminder that we used to be utter shit. Yes, yeah, but right. anyway. Anyway, it's always great. I mean, I'm not going to say it was great fun at the time. It's great fun looking back, though, now. Um, going to finish with Ask the Panel. Uh, send your questions in on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, Kath Peterson's up first from Twitter. She asks, I'm not for a second suggesting City were wrong to sell him when they did, but given their recent finishing problems, it got me thinking how Edin Dzeko would have done in this team. Would a striker in his mould be a useful addition to Pep's squad? What do you reckon, Jack? Uh, short answer, Yes. Um, I think so, and I think that's been the uh, I think that's been the case for well since Pep arrived. Really, it just would have been nice for them to have someone a bit different off the bench, uh, which is a bit of a, it's a bit of a shame that Delaps so young and so raw because he seems to be the sort of person that you know you throw them on for the last ten fifteen minutes. It's it's a different option, happens. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who who they go and get next summer because they'll, they'll sign a striker next summer. Um, is that going to be someone in a similar mould to Jesus, or is it going to be a striker who's a little bit more robust, um, which will probably shape the way they play for the next five years, I guess, that signing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, options have been difficult off the bench, I suppose, in, in the sense that they've not really been able to change the way they play, and that kind of goes back to what, I was saying about De Bruyne before, it's kind of plan A, isn't it? Plan yeah. A, plan A. Every, everything a, off the bench is very like for like, isn't it? That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, Jacko maybe maybe wouldn't have run enough for what Guardiola demands of a striker, but anybody of, of his ilk maybe to, to offer that little bit of, uh, of something different in the box? Yeah, I've always been a huge fan of, you know, a variety within the squad. I, I'd, I'd always have had at a major tournament, you're Andy Carroll or Peter Crouch, someone for an England team. Just because, they, you know, they provide, you know, People of that size provide an option that is so different, and especially a lot of time in Europe as well, when you, things aren't working out, you don't have. There's not many of those players that can provide that physical attributes in the European leagues, and that defenders just aren't used to it. And it's such a rarity now. Some of that quality, and Jekka is bloody good at what he did. And I think my main upset with Jekka is that we sold him and replaced him with 
bony. <laughs> oh, if, we're, if we're talking about uh, gaffes, that's that's one of mine. Um, when I I said I it was it would have been that January window when they signed Bonnie, and I said that he was the uh, he was going to be the difference between City and Chelsea that season. Little did I know. <laughs> yeah, I remember him scoring against Sevilla away. That was a good night out. Yeah. yeah. Um, final question for this week comes from Pete Durham on Twitter, who asks: uh, Are we currently witnessing the end of the Pep Guardiola cycle at City? Could it be that the two seasons we saw where his side got 198 points are levels that are just not something he can guide this squad to again? Jack, what do you reckon? Bloody hell! Uh, <laughs> you could do an hour on that, couldn't you? Yeah. Uh, you've got you've got about thirty seconds, so uh, good luck. I've got more face-offs to discuss as well. <laughs> I though nobody knows whether this is going to be the end. His last season, he's not decided yet, and the decision is purely his. Uh, and that will become clear over the next few months uh, when he sees how the kind of players are reacting to his methods or or not. Um, the on the face of it, you look at it and go, well, maybe this is the end of the cycle because of the drop-off in performances um, last year. I know they were good after uh, during Project Restart, but there's like kind of mitigating circumstances a little bit to that, uh, given they had nothing to play for and they just went out and, and played their own game. Uh, I mean, you look at Wolves and everyone was, everyone was very optimistic after Wolves, but the Wolves created a number of good chances didn't they and you, you wonder if there was a crowd in at Molyneux whether whether City would have held on and, and won that game I don't know whether they would have done uh, so yeah I guess like looking at it you'd say yeah it's prob- probably coming to the end but then you can't write write off Guardiola something something might click in the next few weeks something might change and, and then they go, they go on a mad win spree. Off again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's so difficult answering that question because there's the unpredictability to it, and then there's the genius of the of the manager, and you kind of can't can never ever write him off. Yeah, and I suppose will the the, the chance that I mean I know Guardiola was talking about there's not going to be many more or any more transfers, uh, but this squad. I suppose, like at the end of at the end of this season, it could look entirely differently to the one that that one hundred and ninety eight points. You know, a few new faces here and there, and suddenly the the cycle can be restarted again. I guess. Well, I guess that's the hope. You know, you lose people like Silver and the experienced players like that, and even Otamendi, despite his hilarious rubbishness at times. This squad is set up now to have a few years ahead of itself. That's the key to it. You know, Laporte's got years ahead, Aki coming in years ahead, Diaz 23. You know, this squad could need very, you know, just tweaking and adjusting for years to come. And having that base could be quite exciting for someone like Guardiola if he wants to see it out. And it's you know, it's quite tricky for him to go anywhere at the moment as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I think it'll be a tough decision for both club and Guardiola's side to stay on. But it's definitely this, an exciting squad for someone to work with. And it's a tricky one to find a better one to take forward elsewhere in world football, I guess. I wouldn't read too much into the transfer line from last night. Um, you suspect there'll be more business? He wasn't unequivocal. Uh, they want a left-back. and If they can get someone out, then they will get a left-back. Uh, and actually, as Monday approaches, and it depends how desperate they are for one, but maybe they'll just side one anyway. Um, yeah. his, like, kind of, his plan two years ago was to go really hard on the players to make sure they weren't complacent after they got 100 points. And he, he did that brilliantly. 
uh, last year his plan was to be nicer to them and you can interpret that any which way you want and it probably didn't work. And this year the plan is refreshing the squad, getting getting players out, getting new faces in, making, you know, just giving everyone a bit of a boost. And yeah. they've already, you know, Sane's out, Silva's out, Bravo's out, Garcia and Zinchenko might go. They bring four players in. He wanted, he's always wanted four players. That that was his number that he wanted. So if he gets four, he's got kind of what he's wanted. So yeah. that's the, that's been the plan to get new faces in and just give it a little little reshuffle. Um, and yeah, then little, we'll little shot in the arm sort of thing. Mm. Um, just very quickly, Jack, uh, the the potential of Guardiola signing a, a contract extension, like you say, in his hands. Uh, do you see a situation where he, he maybe just does what he did at Barcelona and takes a year at a time? Yeah, well, that's what he's doing, isn't it? Um, he's just he'll leave it. He'll leave it as for for months and months. Um, now that does that then become become a problem for the for the club if he leaves it quite well. He leaves it too long. Do they need to know by January? They probably do need to know by January what he's doing because if he's not staying, then they need to get the ducks in a row and they need to get the right man in to replace him. Um, but the the club set up for him. He's got an he's autonomy. Not, he's not going to get it better anywhere else. He's is got he, an autonomy it? at Manchester City that he's never. Gonna, he's not going to get anywhere else, and he knows that. Uh, so it's a very tough decision and one he's not going to take lightly, and he's going to deliberate it for for a long while. But I, do, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to sit here and say definitively which way he's going to go because no yeah. one knows. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings this week's show to a close. So uh, thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guest Will Unwin. Thank you very much. And Jack Gorn. Thank you very much. If you'd like some more to listen to and you'd like to support the show as well, then you can get access to a weekly bonus podcast by signing up to be a Patreon backer. All the details are on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast and this week's extra episode is all about those connections between City and Leeds plus a few memorable games between the sides as well. Join us again next Friday for another episode as we'll reflect on everything that happens at Ellen Road. See you then. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast